Well, I'll just go ahead and say this. If you get nothing out of the sermon, you all get a, at least a participation trophy for coming tonight. Uh, I mean, really, it's great to see you. And I didn't know if it was going to be Clayton and, and, uh, and Cindy and Mary and I, but we were going to do it one way or the other. Thank you for being here. When you think of something that's complicated, how many of you would agree that the IRS and the tax codes are complicated? I read this week that when you put all the federal laws and regulations, the tax laws together, that they, they're over 10 million words in our tax codes. Now, to give you a little idea of that, take a, a novel or a book that might have 250 words a page, okay, 250 words a page. So if you put the tax codes and laws at 250 pages, you would have a 40,000-page book. Now, that'd be tough to get through, wouldn't it? That'd be tougher than the book of Leviticus and Numbers, correct? And to give you a little more reference of that, just think about if you took those 40,000 pages and you made them into a, each a 200-page book, you, you, we actually would have 200 books of 200 pages each of tax codes. That is ridiculously complicated, isn't it? Uh, we're going to talk about something tonight that is not a simple thing by any means. It, it's so simple you can get your hand and heart around it, but we can never plumb the depths of it, and that is God. We're going to talk about God. Well, every, isn't every sermon about God? Yes, but we're going to specifically look at God tonight. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in two main passages. We're going to be in Matthew 28 and 2 Corinthians 13. Matthew 28, 2 Corinthians 13. We're in our, our series. We started last week. Give the Lord a moment there. On beliefs matter. And we talked about the Bible. And folks, really, what you believe determines everything else in your life. It really does. Unless you can just openly be a hypocrite and say, I'm not going to practice what I preach. What you believe determines what you do. So what beliefs matter tremendously. We talked about the Bible last week. We're going to talk about Jesus and salvation the, uh, the next two weeks. But tonight we're talking about God. And let's begin with this. How many gods do we have? How, how many gods do we, I got people showing the number one signal? Uh, I, I'm going to agree with you there in just a second. You, do you know what polytheism is? Polytheism says there's multiple gods. There's multiple gods. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples. We know this is the Great Commission, but we're not looking at it at all tonight as the Great Commission. We're looking at it as a theological statement here. Disciples of all nations, win people to Christ, baptize those who have been, been baptized, train them up, but baptize them then in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Some people have accused Christians of worshiping three gods. No, we, we believe that there is one God. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, way over in the Old Testament, it says this is a, this is a foundational creed of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is he is one. Now, Jesus, who ought to know theology pretty well, would you agree with me? I understand the God part of theology pretty well. In Matthew 12, verse 29, Jesus says, he's talking to a Pharisee who's tried to trick him. And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is what? The Lord is 
one. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on and says, love God and love people. We have one God, don't we? Now, here's the cool thing that you look at the, some of the major religions of the world. You look at Christianity. You look at Islam. You look at, uh, you look at Judaism. We all agree that there's one God, don't we? We do. Now, we're going to vastly disagree on my second point in just a moment, but we agree that there's one God. Now, here's where the, the ways separate quickly. God, we believe God has made himself known to us in three ways. We believe there's one God who has made himself known to us in three ways. Folks, Judaism does not believe this. Uh, Islam does not believe this, and a, a strict Orthodox Jew, as well as a Muslim, uh, certainly the Muslims would, would believe that this is idolatry to say that, that Jesus is God or the Holy Spirit is God. When Cindy and I were in Israel several years ago, Cindy, you may remember this, in fact, we've showed this on a slide before, we were in Galilee, and we were in a section of Galilee where there was a lot of Muslims, and there was literally a sign in the village and I'm paraphrasing it, but it basically said, you Christians better stop saying that, that uh, Jesus is God or that, you know, that there's only one God and that's Allah. And if you don't stop it, we're going to help stop you from doing that. Kind of intimidating, wasn't it? But uh, so to say that you and I believe God's made himself known in three ways, you need to understand a lot of people don't believe that. In fact, if you looked at the five major religions of the world, you look at Islam, you, you look at Judaism, you look at the Hindus, and you look at Buddhism, uh, those would say that that is absolutely not true. Christianity is the only one that believes that God is one who has made himself known in three ways. Now, we call this the what? Call this the Trinity. Some people may say, well, the Trinity, the phrase Trinity is never found in the Bible. Did you know the word missionary is never found in the Bible? Did you know that? How many of you believe that sending out missionaries and being a missionary is a biblical concept? Just a few of you do. Well, it is, and I'm going to promise you the Trinity is a biblical concept. One God, he's made himself known in three ways. Here's number one, God the Father. God the Father, in chapter 28, verse 19, baptize them in the name of of the Father. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to have some great word studies this evening. The word Father means the author and the initiator, Jehovah, as the creator of heaven and earth and of man. That's good stuff, isn't it? In, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of who? The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The word God there, theos, means deity. It means the supreme divinity. It's the supreme God. Now listen, Jewish people who are Orthodox, who are not Christians, would say, yes, we have God the Father, one supreme God. And Muslims would say we have one God, Allah. Christians say, yes, we have God the Father. Here's where we get separated. We believe we have God the Son also, don't we? We do believe that. This becomes an uh-oh and splitting point. Jewish people don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and God in the flesh. Muslims believe that Jesus Christ was a prophet. Is there a difference between being a prophet and being God? 
Well, let me just say it this way. I hope I'm a prophet, and you can ask my wife, I'm not close to being a God. Amen, Cindy? There's a huge difference, (laughs) a huge difference in a prophet and the Son of God. And again, in verse 19, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son. Boy, the the word Son, there's two Greek words for Son in the New Testament. One basically can mean offspring. The word here literally means the Son of God. It means that that someone is the, the, the Son of God. And here we know that is Jesus Christ. This word's reserved for that. Some people would say, well, and I know some groups that would say Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus is uh, a Son of God. You have to watch some of that grammar. But is Jesus Christ really God? John 1.1 to me answers that as well as a lot of other places. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God. And read that out loud with me. The Word was God. Now, folks, uh, a traditional Mormon doesn't believe Jesus is God. A traditional Jehovah Witness, and I hope I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to slander anyone or slam them. I'm, it, it, listen, if a, if a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim was to say, hey, that preacher First Baptist believes Jesus is God, you know what I'd say? Amen. That's exactly what I believe. But they don't believe that. The Jehovah Witnesses actually have a Bible translation called the New World Translation. Any of y'all ever heard of that? It is, it is unique to them, translated by them. And John 1.1, put that, Jamie, could you put John 1.1 back up on the screen again? I'm sorry, John 1.1. In the beginning, God was the, uh, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the, their translation, it says the Word was a little g O-D. Now, folks, I'm not a Greek uh, scholar, but I can tell you what the Greek of the New Testament says. It doesn't say that Jesus was a God. It says Jesus was and is God. That is huge. Do you understand how important that is to our theology? I hope I'm not boring you tonight. This stuff excites me uh, to know we and Jesus Christ. Listen, he's the son of God and he is God. Come back next week. We're going to major in Jesus. And we're going to explore him more thoroughly. In Second. Corinthians thirteen fourteen. it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, stay with me. I told you there's some neat word studies here. The word Lord is a huge word. It means supreme authority, master, owner. It's a big word. When someone's called Lord, that means something. But in the Bible, it, it was huge. Remember, the New Testament was originally written in what language? Pig Latin. No. What? Greek. He, the Old Testament was written in what language? Hebrew. Jesus' day, they had translated the Hebrew Old Testament. I've told you this several times, but you were sleeping and didn't hear it, so I want you to hear it again. They translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. They called it the Septuagint. It's probably the Bible Jesus read out of. When it would refer oftentimes in the Old Testament to God the Father, it would call him Kuros, our Lord. And so then you jump into the New Testament and the Greek, and it calls Jesus Christ Lord. You know what it was saying? It was saying Jesus Christ is God. Do you understand the significance of that? Not really. It's pretty significant. It costs people their lives. It's cost people their lives for thousands of years. That Jesus Christ, saying Jesus is Lord, is a, is a manifestation or proclamation you believe and say to be saved. To say Jesus is Lord doesn't just mean he's master and owner. You are professing that Jesus is God. In John 14, verse 8 and 9, 
Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me, read that out loud, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Hey, either Jesus was delusional or Jesus was God, because Jesus said, when you look at me, you see God. Isn't that wonderful? See, we have one God. He's made himself known. We've seen two ways, God the Father, God the Son. Here's a third way, God the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of Jewish folks through the years have believed the Holy Spirit was a a divine and prophetic voice and presence of God. I remember when I was growing up, the main Bible used in church was the King James. And the King James translates the Holy Spirit as the what? The Holy Ghost. That's not a bad translation, but for a kid, it's confusing. It's scary. I'd hear the old folks talking about the Holy Ghost. That, I'm, I'm being honest, that scared me. I did. What's the Holy Ghost? And, and there's a place or two where the King James refers to the Holy Spirit as it. Folks, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal being. The Holy Spirit is He because He is God. He is God in spirit. He is the the Spirit of God. In John 14, 16 through 18, a little bit after what we'd seen a moment ago, Jesus just told the guys he's leaving. They're obviously very depressed and sad. Jesus said, look, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. And listen, the Holy Spirit, he's going to be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Folks, when Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, literally he was saying, I'm going to give you someone exactly like me to come and live in you. Isn't that great? I had a great professor in seminary, and he used to say, don't get confused about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God. And he said, listen, when you're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is being filled with Jesus. And when you're filled with Jesus, you're filled with God. And when you're filled with God, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I confusing you yet? But that's good stuff. Listen, we don't have three gods, but we have one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is how he's manifest himself to you. Folks, I want to share with you quickly... Some of the earliest Christian statements of faith, they called them creeds. Basically, it was the Christian church leaders coming together to say, we need to define what we believe on some major issues. And and these major creeds, that several of these, uh, almost all Christian denominations mainline agree with, the Apostles' Creed which was, was the first creed statement of faith ever, probably about 160 or 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Then there was the Creed of Nicaea, about 300 A.D. Remember, Jesus probably arose from the dead, A.D. 33, 36, somewhere in there. Then there was the Nicene Creed, which was kind of a, 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 an improvement or an update on the Creed of Nicaea. And the last one is the Athatian Creed, which came about 500 years. Let me just share with you some of these things. The Apostles' Creed, the earliest statement of faith of Christianity. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit. 
the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Listen to what it says, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God. That's pretty deep stuff, isn't it? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. Folks, you only worship God. And the Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity and unity, never confounding the person nor dividing the substance. These are preachers, right? You can tell now, can't you? For there's one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet there are not three eternals, but one. You confused yet? Also, there are not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Spirit almighty. Yet there are not three almighties, but there's one almighty. You know what the earliest Christian statements of faith said, folks? Is that we have one God, but we have one God who has made himself known to us in three ways. God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to challenge you to do this evening. I want you to embrace who God is. Embrace who God is. I'd encourage you to embrace it intellectually. Well, I don't understand, and it doesn't make sense. A lot, 90% of the stuff you do throughout the day, you don't fully understand, but you do it, don't you? Absolutely. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a, a, I don't know how modern it is, but it's something you don't hear a lot, but it's true. It's called the oneness doctrine. Any of you know what I'm talking about when I say the oneness doctrine? No, the oneness doctrine, you'd find people in Ruston who believe this, that, that we just have Jesus, that Jesus envelops the Holy Spirit. Jesus envelops God the Father. We just have one. We just have Jesus. Part of it, they derive that from an Acts where they say baptize in the name of Jesus. And I've had some people tell me, well, we don't baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts, it said baptize in the name of Jesus. Folks, when we dunk you here, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus said. Now, why why did it say in Acts, in a place or two, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? It wasn't given a new statement of how to baptize people or saying that the Father and the Spirit have been enveloped in the Son. It was because they were encountering people who had never heard the name of Jesus. They'd been baptized by John. They'd been baptized into Judaism. They'd never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, when you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you're getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? How does this play out? I don't understand. We have a couple of illustrations that we use. How can you have one but three? If you take water, you can have liquid, you can have steam, you can have solid, you can have ice. Think about a man. A man can be a father. He can be a husband. He can be a boss. He can be an employee. He can be a brother. He can be a son. But it's still the same person, isn't it? 
Well, I don't understand the Trinity. That's okay. In fact, I would tell you, if you said tonight you understood it, I would say that you were probably dishonest or not very smart. Karl Barth was a great theologian in the 20th century. And I love what he said about the Trinity. He said the Trinity simply is the Christian name for God. We have one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But here's a, here's a little different take for you this evening. Don't only embrace it intellectually. Embrace it intimately. Embrace it personally. Pantheism is a belief that there's not really a personal God, that God is in everything and everything is in God. You go outside and you kick a piece of gravel or you, you look at a squirrel in a tree while well, there's God. Well, that's foolish, isn't it? Silly, but there's people who believe that. Deism is a belief that there is a God. He created the earth. He wound the clock and started it. Then he stepped back and he's asleep in the rocking chair Wait until the clock stops. He's not personal. He's not involved. Folks, that's just the opposite of what we see in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, an impersonal God. In verse 19, go and make disciples, baptizing them, it says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes to a, a Hebrew person, the word name meant something. It didn't just mean a a, a moniker that you called someone by. It, it described their character, their name, and their reputation. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father. Listen, we don't have an impersonal, sleepy grandfather in heaven. We have God who is described as our loving Father. Is that not wonderful? God is, is, is our wonderful, loving Father. And it says, in the name of Jesus, the Son our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, who is God. I want to go to verse 14, and I think it gives us even more clear direction about the intimacy of this. It talks about the Trinity here in this verse, and it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's God. He's the Son of God. The word grace means undeserved favor, unearned favor that God pours out on us. It says the love of God, that biblical word love is that Greek word agape, the unconditional love that someone has that that you can't earn, that no matter how bad you are, they may disapprove and they may spank you, but they still love you. The grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father. And then it says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's a great biblical word koinonia, which means a a warm communion, friendly fellowship. Folks, when it describes our God, our triune trinity God, it describes one of grace, one of mercy, one of unconditional love, and one that likes to gather his people around and fellowship and do life with them. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have an impersonal trinity that we uh, announce regularly no we have a warm personal loving yes an all-knowing and all-powerful God but an all-loving wonderful God folks it's neat that the last verse in the the dual work of first and second Corinthians ends this way the Corinthians were mean they fought they were impure they were immoral and it ends talking about how wonderful kind gracious and beautiful our God is and how they're three but they're one and there's perfect unity he's like he's telling those people hey 
Be unified like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are. Relish in the grace of God, the love of God, and the fellowship and the communion of God. You see, the Trinity is not just something to debate or argue over. The Trinity is something for you and I to live in the wonderful presence of this type of God. Now what's, what's happening tonight in your heart? You know, it's kind of neat about salvation. Salvation is so simple, but it's so deep. But here, here's a Trinity view of salvation. Trinity view of salvation is, is that God the Father and God the Son decided they wanted to save you. Isn't that neat of them? <laughs> And so the plan was the Father and the Son, they, the Son came down to earth voluntarily to die for you. And the Holy Spirit is trying to woo you to give your life to Christ. Isn't that neat? And even tonight, if you will give your life to Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit pulls you, you will come into a relationship with God the Father. Isn't that neat? You can do that tonight if you never have. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to do that. You know, the church is described as the body of Christ, designed by God the Father, the body and the bride of Jesus, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come join us tonight if you'd like to. Maybe you're a Christian this evening. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're not where you need to be with the Father and the Son. I would encourage you where you're standing or at the altar to make things right with God. Let's stand. God leads you. We'll be down here waiting for you. You come tonight.